Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking about the U.S. Senate debate between Republican incumbent Martha McSally and Democratic challenger Mark Kelly. The U.S. Senate race in Arizona has major implications, not just for our political representation. After all, it could be the first time since 1953 that Arizona was represented by two Democrats in the Senate, but it's also got a national spotlight on it. A few weeks ago, I reported that if Mark Kelly wins the election this November, he will be appointed to the seat immediately, that is, barring a prolonged legal battle. So instead of waiting until January 2021, like the rest of the senator-elects in the country, he could be seated as soon as November 30th. That's because his challenger, Republican incumbent Martha McSally, was not elected by the voters to her seat. She was appointed to the seat of the late U.S. Senator John McCain. Governor Doug Ducey appointed her eventually after McCain's death. Martha McSally is uniquely qualified to fight for Arizona's interests in the United States Senate. Despite losing election in her own right against Democrat Kirsten Sinema, the state's now senior senator. This will change the makeup of the Senate by one vote, and that could be crucial as the Senate takes up the nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the U.S. Supreme Court. On The Gaggle, we've talked a lot about how Kirsten Sinema wrote the playbook for how Democrats could win in a traditionally right-leaning state of Arizona. She won in 2018 in large part with a centrist message that was pretty apolitical. Mark Kelly seems to be running in much the same way. Since Sinema's victory, Democrats nationally have taken Arizona more seriously than ever, hoping to flip it blue this November. So you can bet not just Arizonans, but everyone is watching this race closely. And today, we're helping you parse through the exchange of words. We'll highlight the night's biggest moments and give context on what it could mean at the ballot box. The time is 10.40 p.m. We're recording this part of the episode from our recording studio in downtown Phoenix, which is located just across the street from where Martha McSally and Mark Kelly just faced off. I moderated the debate along with three other moderators. So it was a spirited night with both candidates vying for Arizonans' votes. They sparred on a lot of different topics from healthcare and China to immigration and national security. The conversation started with the coronavirus pandemic. But Yvonne, you were one of the moderators. Uh, It seemed like tone and uh, the tenor of this whole debate stands out as much as anything else. What, What do you remember about the way it felt to watch these two candidates interact? It felt very stressful. I won't just say as a as a moderator, but you're right. I mean, um, she came right out the gate taking swipes at Kelly's um, political brand. He's casting himself as a as an independent, essentially as an independent uh, candidate, somebody who is pretty apolitical, much like Kirsten Cinema did. She tried to cast doubt on uh, his his uh, brand. And my opponent uh, is claiming that he's not a politician or not even a Democrat, but that's counterfeit. 
Look, the truth is that he's bought and paid for by uh, Chuck Schumer, whose path to power goes through Arizona. And she immediately started to try to attack his ties to China, his business dealings, and really tried to sort of tie him to the most fringe elements or most liberal elements of the Democratic Party. I was surprised that she came out so quickly and aggressively. So one of the things that stood out to me was the label that she debuted tonight, Counterfeit Kelly, which I think she said a few times throughout the night. So Counterfeit Kelly says he's an independent and a moderate and lots of platitudes here, but the stakes could not be higher. This was something that we hadn't seen from her specifically with this kind of line of attack. Did it work? I think it depends on who you talk to. If you are talking to some, you know, conservatives who are supportive of Donald Trump, this is reminiscent of his nicknames that he gives his opponents, Sleepy Joe. And, you know, we know all the others. We've been hearing them for many years. This is reminiscent of that. She... um Avoided some of the more personal attacks that we've seen uh, others, other high-profile candidates make. We saw her make in 2018 with cinema. Um, she seemed to really sort of stay within the bounds, but she did use the same sort of shticky uh, nicknames that um, have have helped Donald Trump and propelled him to the White House in 2016. I don't know if it will work. I think it will turn off maybe some of these independent suburban women voters, people who you know are looking for an adult in the room, somebody who will not be divisive or derisive of their opponent. So we also uh, saw how Mark Kelly responded to all of this. How did he take it? What was his tone and temperament? He seemed pretty even keeled about the whole thing. I think one of the things that viewers couldn't see from their living rooms, uh, their televisions, was the look on his face when she debuted uh, the nickname. And early in the debate, he seemed to be a little perplexed with the with the nickname. And he was making some funny faces and trying to, you know, get past the nickname. And then at some point, he just stopped reacting to it at all. But for the most part, he really didn't seem to be emotional at all throughout the debate. There was one prominent exception, it seemed, to that um, after Senator McSally really sort of uh, lobbed a lot of uh, guilt by association, trying to tie the activities of a political organization Mark Kelly is tied to uh, and the Democratic candidates that they have supported, um, notably Ilhan Omar of Minnesota. You asked for some clarification, though, from Mark Kelly as to who that organization is. What was his answer and why was that important? Yeah, it was an important moment. It had been maybe the second or third time that she had referenced donations and endorsements that the gun safety advocacy group uh, that Mark Kelly co-founded along with his wife, former representative Gabrielle Giffords, after she survived a nearly near fatal shooting in 2011 and after the Sandy Hook massacre uh, that followed, they founded this organization, they endorse candidates, they they give money. And um, I wanted clarification on what specifically was she talking about? And Kelly answered and he said, look, you know, we founded this organization. We, you know, support these sorts of um, measures that would restrict um, access to weapons uh, for dangerous people. And it the moment that he invoked the shooting and her, you know, her 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 story uh, 
it really kind of put an end to the whole line of attack. It, it put that to rest and everybody moved on. The debate started with the COVID pandemic. McSally acknowledged that mistakes were made, but she continued to really lay blame on China. And she did her best to remind people of Kelly's associations with China, at least from the business, a business perspective. What case did each of the candidates try to prosecute with that question? Well, it was pretty clear that Senator McSally really didn't want to entertain the, the question that was asked, which was assessing the performance of the administration and and really her own role, I guess, in in how the pandemic has been managed. So she tried to change the subject, but it inevitably came back to her. And that's when she acknowledged that there were mistakes, things could have been better. But uh, on the whole, she still praised the president for his early intervention and tried to maintain that she has been focused on helping Arizonans, which was a major theme of hers throughout the debate, that whether it's the coronavirus or economic development and other kinds of uh, duties, that she is looking out for the needs of Arizonans. What I was doing at the time was fighting tirelessly to get relief to Arizonans, and we passed the CARES Act. We've got the PPP loans out there that saved 85,000 small businesses in Arizona. Mark Kelly, though, really kind of uh, made it clear that he views this pandemic as having been poorly managed. But we've got a serious crisis on our hands. We've got a public health crisis, which spurred an economic crisis. And both of these things have been made worse by a crisis of leadership. He noted in particular that while the Senate uh, has been off on vacation, Arizonans are left struggling without enhanced uh, unemployment assistance, without more assistance for small businesses and such. So he sort of laced into her pretty well about the inability of Washington to break through and get something done to continue to help people in this moment of great need. Well, I think... Uh... 200,000 dead Americans is evidence that we did not do, that Washington, this administration and Senator McSally did not do a great job. One of the things he continued to remind uh, viewers of throughout the debate was that, you know, yeah, if this thing was handled so great, then why does the U.S. make up 4% of the world's population, but 21% of the world's cases? Right. So this was, if uh, Mark Kelly had a jingle for the night, this was probably his. He liked to go back to this sort of fact of the prevalence of deaths in this country from a, a pandemic that has you know, been all over the world, but we are somehow specially afflicted with uh, the fatalities and such. This was obviously a point that he wanted to dwell on. And Senator McSally wanted to move past. And I think th it's part of this entire debate that both of them had their intended audiences and got their messages out. And I think that those groups probably heard a lot of what they wanted to hear from their preferred candidate. The question is for those who still had an open mind on this, which debate still carried the, the day with them? Is it talk about the pandemic and the uh, death toll or is it more about, um, you know, sort of moving on and trying to be uh, proactive on other fronts? Yvonne, healthcare was a top talking point in Tuesday's debate. We saw Senator McSally trying again to recast her voting record on the Affordable Care Act. And Republicans and Democrats can agree on a couple things related to health care. First is we will always protect pre-existing conditions. There's nobody who disagrees with that. Yeah, we've seen her do this before, particularly when it comes to some of these key constituencies that we're talking about, like seniors and suburban women. 
So McSally sought to kind of reassure the audience that she would never take away anyone's uh, coverage, especially if they had uh, pre-existing medical conditions. And she really tried to pivot and in many ways gloss over her record while she was in the House of Representatives um, of voting to get rid of the Affordable Care Act or roll it back or tweak it or alter it in some way that um, Republicans have been trying to do for a decade. Second is that Obamacare is failing. It's not working. And so what I'm doing is fighting for more options for people. So she talked a little bit about how she takes issue with some of the prices that high costs that some folks have to pay, that the insurance just isn't good enough on the whole for a lot of families, and that we could do a better job um, with another plan. But she tried to act as though those votes that she had taken never existed. What struck me as interesting, too, is that Mark Kelly really kind of wanted to um, up the stakes of the Supreme Court case that will be heard uh, the week after the elections are over. And this is sort of the context in which he wanted to raise the Supreme Court as an issue. And this is an example of him trying to say, like, this is the final step in her her battle since she's got to Washington to try and undo the Affordable Care Act. And, and now it goes to this Supreme Court uh, that could be pulled even further to the right and knock down that law. There's a Supreme Court case in November that's about the Affordable Care Act. And Senator McSally has worked incredibly hard over the last five years to elim eliminate or undermine protections for pre-existing conditions. What's interesting also is that Senator McSally wanted to talk about the Supreme Court as really sort of an, an excuse to talk about this is a threat to gun rights and this is uh, something that will be used to help enact a very ultra-liberal agenda that Mark Kelly doesn't want you to know he supports. So uh, the health care issue was uh, distorted in, in some ways and both candidates sought uh, to get the upper hand and again, I thought spoke effectively to their intended audiences uh, by making the points they did. Yeah, and on uh, Kelly's proposal for some sort of public option that he hasn't really completely articulated, uh, he still didn't articulate it on uh, Tuesday night. He was asked how, what specifically would that plan look like and how would it be paid for? And he didn't really answer the question in a meaningful way. And when asked and pressed, do we just add to the national debt? You know, he pivoted and tried to bridge to an argument against McSally. And so, you know, these are some of the some of the questions that um, his opponents have dinged him on and will continue to ding him on for refusing to answer. Maybe one of the most surprising things that came up in the debate was the extent to which guns came up. And Senator McSally clearly was uh, happy to have that conversation. She she injected it uh, into the debate a couple different times at diff in, in different places. And of course, Mark Kelly especially uh, unpacked his own views on this issue, which is of course very personal for him. This struck me as uh, sort of an unexpected entry in a campaign that has been notably missing this issue uh, throughout. seems like neither one of these candidates was too eager to talk about guns, which is interesting given its importance in both of their careers and lives. 
Yeah, this is a question that you and I have been um, noodling around for some time throughout the general election. Certainly, the gun issue was a big deal during the primary race when Martha McSally faced uh, Republican Daniel McCarthy in the in the primary um, for the nomination. He made a very big deal about the Second Amendment, and a lot of his supporters uh, view McSally suspiciously because of her previous stance on being open to red flag gun laws, which she talked a lot about in 2019. Uh, but we haven't really seen this issue crop up in a center stage sort of fashion the way it did during this debate. McSally tried to cast herself as, you know, the most, the best Second Amendment senator um, who was on the stage. And uh, Kelly um, you know, said when I asked, like, why, why aren't you, why aren't you making more of an issue? Uh, you know, most people know you as a gun control activist, but you hardly talk about it in the campaign. His response was, I'm talking about the things that people are talking to me about. And that's healthcare. That's the economy. That's jobs. That's getting their kids back to school. It's not second amendment. Okay, so there was a lot of things that were pretty combative throughout this debate, but there was at least one thing that seemed to be uh, an area of relative agreement, and that was the violence in America's cities uh, in the wake of uh, social unrest over police violence. Mark Kelly seemed to acknowledge that there were uh, a need for reforms in police departments, but he condemned the violence uh, pretty unambiguously. Uh, but there were necessary reforms needed in policing. Um, but the protests that we have seen across the country, there is no place for that. Senator McSally was also very clear that racism should be stamped out. Um, but she was also insistent that she backs the blue, as she put it repeatedly. I back the blue. I've gotten the endorsement of the Arizona Police Association. What's happening right now in our cities, the violence is despicable. And you see many on the left who are just standing by and doing nothing. Yvonne, this has been a very difficult year for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. But when we think to the summer in particular, it seemed like COVID took a pause for a moment as America's cities really went through a wrenching summer of discord. Um, has this issue really kind of been on the radar for these two candidates uh, to this point? As it cropped up in the news and as we have seen these major protests and um, fires and in some instances looting in American cities, it has uh, been an issue. Um, I think it reached its fever pitch over the summer, but uh, COVID has certainly taken over throughout the fall. Um, it depends on the audience that they're talking about, right? Like it doesn't always come up. COVID clearly dominates um, all of their campaign speeches. The handling of, of COVID dominates the, their campaign speeches. Um, for a time, George Floyd's death really did rocket to the top of uh, the issues that folks cared about. If you speak to Mormons or some faith-based voters, they are really concerned about social justice issues. They are concerned that um, we have institutions that have systemic racism, and they want they do want that stamped out, much like McSally said. Um, the question is, how much attention long term does an issue like this really have in a race like this that is so volatile? 
All right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts. This was the only opportunity for Arizonans to see these opponents next to each other. It's been a race in the making for the last year and a half. It ended after a 90-minute in-person debate divided by plexiglass or clear plastic, whatever you want to call it. Ron, do you think um, the debate added any sort of clarity on the fundamentals of this race? I'd like to say that there was some great clarity that came out of all this, but I don't think so. I think both sides really sort of uh, took their their positions about where we expected. They did it early. They set the tone and really kind of stayed with it. I don't think that the the basics of what we thought we knew about Mark Kelly uh, has changed much. I same thing with Senator McSally. She made what seemed you know a half-hearted attempt to try and uh, again say that she has never been uh, uh, against preserving protections for pre-existing conditions. But um, really, this was about talking to her base, and for Mark Kelly, this was about trying to uh, say that it's time for a change and that Arizona needs an independent senator, uh, which is really how he's kind of positioning himself. And I don't think either side really tried to debut much new. Uh, that opened new ground for them. So, Yvonne, clearly um, independent voters are an important part of the equation in this state. There's as many of them as there are Democrats or Republicans. Who won that sort of conversation with the independents tonight? So to win the independents, you have to speak to them. There was only one person who really seemed to be at least using the word independent or independence um, on that stage. McSally, I think, did a really good job of prosecuting her case. Kelly did a good job of just trying to stay within the lines, trying to keep, you know, maintain a lead if if he does have one, as all the polls suggest. Um, so I don't know. I guess it remains to be seen. To me... I have to I look at who had the best answers and displayed the most empathy for the people who are struggling right now. And I think that that's a hard call. How different was McSally's performance compared with her debate with Cinema in 2018? I think it's night and day. Uh Martha McSally has to be very very pleased with the way that she ended the night tonight. The focus was on a lot of the points that she was making about Mark Kelly, the nickname that she hung on him, the underlying charge of him just being inauthentic on a lot of different things and evasive in his answers to important questions. She prosecuted her case very well and didn't go out of bounds on this one. I I think that her performance in 2018 was okay as I remember, but the thing I really remember was what she said at the very end of that, which sort of overshadowed the entire evening for her in a pretty close race. She didn't do that tonight. You may or may not agree with what she was saying about Mark Kelly, but there's no denying that she made the points that she wanted to make and spoke to the people she was trying to reach. And I think for her, that is clearly an improvement over 2018. Yeah, she ended this debate by uh, challenging Mark Kelly to more debates. And, uh, you know, she thought it would be great if voters could see them again on stage, in person, next to each other, traveling around the state. 
Um, and of course, he didn't take her up on that offer, although they will be appearing uh, in a candidate forum on Univision uh, next week. Okay, Yvonne. So I was at the debate, but I wasn't in the debate like you were. I wasn't even in the same room just per their COVID protocols. Take us for a moment, if you would, into the into the room. What was that like? What were the little uh, exchanges and, and moments that kind of stand out uh, in watching this thing unfold uh, that viewers might not have been able to see? So they each took the podium and um, McSally stared straight ahead uh, at the at the cameras. She kind of really had her game face on pretty immediately. She did smile and say hello to the photographers. Uh, Mark Kelly came on and he kind of, I can't remember if he had his mask on or not, but I remember him saying something to the effect of, hey, and he kind of waved through the plexiglass at, plexiglass at McSally and it was like, oh, we can't shake hands or something like that, you know, it was, but it was a gesture, a, a collegial sort of gesture. Um, at the very end of the debate, when all the cameras had been turned off, um, McSally, you know, uh, after challenging him to more debates, um, said, made a jokingly comment like, oh, you want an elbow bump? You want an elbow bump? Uh, virtual elbow bump or something like that. And, um, and she was trying to be collegial. And, you know, I don't know, even know that he necessarily heard her, but the fact that it wasn't ice cold, there was some warmth in that room and I think it left on a on a good note but she did leave him with some parting words something to the effect of you know what they say in fighter pilot training bites on or something to that effect that's the last words I heard her say um, as she left that podium bites on Well, Gaggle listeners, that's all for this week. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle. We'll be back next week with another episode. If you enjoy our show, consider purchasing a subscription to our website at azcentral.com backslash join. You can follow me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. And you can follow me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. This week's episode was edited and produced by Maritza Dominguez with help from Taylor Seeley and oversight from Katie O'Connell. We'll see you next week. 